Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Most of us have commutes, whether it is every day, just once a week, or even just on occasion. A lot of us will have to leave the house on a somewhat regular interval to travel to work. Most development work can be done remotely. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's done in an office setting. This practice imposes costs on the developer, their team, and society that are probably not being fully considered. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of these and how avoiding or modifying the commute might make a lot more sense. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, I am still working on the book. That is chewing up basically all of my free time right now. In addition to that, I'm setting up a file server for you. If I can ever um, get that done and get that to you, that'll be real nice. I don't know when that's going to happen because it's in between everything else that's going on. Uh, The other thing that happened is I started my uh, allergy treatment, right? Like, so like the, the drops and man, the first day. (laughs) that was actually the day of your party. Like I went to bed at like seven o'clock that night. I was feeling so bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sunday was bad, but not as bad. And then it just kind of tapered off. And so I don't know if I'm building more tolerance or if I was getting sick and got better Mm -hmm. then like, I just don't know what happened. So I'm I'm starting to try to get some of the health stuff kind of in order a little bit better. I'm turning 40 this year and that's, you know, it's about time. Um, other than that, man, it's just work. Like that's all I'm doing right now. You mentioned my birthday. My party turned out all right. Not as many people as I expected. Um, I kind of live further out there. You had just had your allergy stuff and weren't able to make it. Uh, a lot of people canceled at the last minute due to illness. I guess that's part of the problem of having a birthday right in the middle of cold flu season. Um, still, I had a few people show up. Um, one of our friends that we recently made it conference. One of our friends that we recently made at a conference uh, and lives out near you now, he and his wife came down. It was actually a lot of fun to kind of spend some time getting to know them a little bit better. Uh, and then a few other people came out. So it was it was good. It was a nice kind of personal, small thing, which ended up being really good. Also, I bought a washer and dryer. It is being delivered tomorrow. Life is still a bit hectic, but uh, things are starting to calm down. I've got a new project at work that's a bit more low level than I've done before. So that's kind of exciting. I'm really looking forward to getting in there. I've been doing some tutorials and stuff, trying to get a better understanding of what they're asking me to do. Also, it's kind of interesting to be working on something that's not a web app because that's what I've been doing you know, ever since I got back into computing. So since we're talking about commutes, I have something commute related for IOTs. This is an article titled, Three Ways IoT Will Change Your Commute for the Better. It's actually the first in a series of blog posts from IBM about ways that IoT is changing commuting and traveling in general. 
It talks about changes to vehicles, such as collecting data, connected cars, things like that, as well as how roads are being updated with sensors to detect traffic patterns and optimize routes and road closures. It even goes into how this will advance the concept of smart cities. So if you think of your smart home, but at the city level, Big Brother is watching and calculating which ads to send you. And I'm kind of blending uh, my sci-fis there. But uh, anyways, there'll be a link to the article in the show notes. Check it out. It's really interesting. And you can follow along with it as the series goes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we had an iTunes review from Dev Steve. He says, as a dev with six years under my belt, I am somewhere between the two of these guys. Only just discovered it, but the first couple of episodes are great. Looking forward to catching up on three years worth of material. Thanks, Steve. If you liked our earlier shows, just wait until you hear how much we've improved the audio quality and our own speaking abilities. Yeah, it's it's gotten a lot better since those first few episodes. <laughs> yeah, like I can get through a podcast and not get nervous, which mm-hmm. is kind of nice. And our audio quality, well... Exists. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it went up and then it went down when we went remote. Like every time we've made a change, it's it's taken a little bit of time for us to adjust to that change. But... You know we're we're constantly getting better at what we do, and so we're we're happy that you enjoy the content. The content has gotten better too because we've gotten better at writing it and better at understanding based on what people say and tell us what makes an effective episode versus what we think would make an effective episode. Send us an email with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and for the time being, Google+. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. You can check us out each week on Facebook Live, where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions, or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Clubhouse.io. Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products their customers love. Clubhouse provides the perfect balance of simplicity and structure for better cross-functional collaboration. Easy for people on any team to focus in on their work on a specific task or project, while also being able to zoom out to see how that work is contributing towards the bigger picture. With a simple API and robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools you use every day, getting out of your way so that you can deliver quality software on time. As listeners of Complete Developer Podcast, you guys can sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io slash complete developer. So many of us have commutes. A lot of people have long commutes that really result in a decrease in quality of life, Uh, at the individual, family, corporate, and planetary levels, frankly. Whether it's spending hours a day in stop-and-go traffic, belching smog into the atmosphere, or the cost to operations when people are late due to traffic, commutes cause a lot of problems. Worse still, many of them are unnecessary and would be considered absurd had the idea been considered carefully. 
In this episode, we're going to talk through some of the costs that your commute is imposing on you, your family, your business, and the world around you. We hope that this will not only let you see how much of a problem it is, but give you information that is useful in determining how much of a commute you're willing to put up with. We'll start out with some statistics based around U.S. numbers and then talk about the costs at various levels of society. Yeah, Beach has managed to reduce the frequency of his commute, as have I, as we both think this stuff is really important. Uh, while most of this is based around commuting by car, it should be noted that the costs of mass transit are better, but they are not non-existent, especially with other factors in the mix. We hope that the following information will help you make more informed choices when selecting a new job if working from home is an option. So we're going to start off talking about the ugly, ugly base statistics. And that is Will's terminology. That's good. I like it. First off, the commuting population. In February 2014, hey, I was uh, just getting into computing then. There were a little over 139 million workers commuting in the U.S., And this is according to the Washington Post. 76% of Americans drive to work daily, usually alone, with another 9% carpooling. And uh, you don't have a percentage here for mass transit. Yeah, that's because it didn't have that there. Um, Okay. And the mass transit numbers are always tricky to actually figure out because there's a lot of, you know, people that that it's not a commute. Mm-hmm. necessarily it's you know you're going to the grocery store and and all that and i didn't see a breakdown of those numbers i would love to have it but i i just couldn't find one um, no i drive about 30 minutes to the park and ride and and just what i ride there's about 30 or 40 people yeah and i'm sure there's there's more of that especially in the cities that have decent infrastructure for that i mean my mm-hmm. commute is about 35 minutes in and closer to an hour coming home um, mm-hmm. Just because of the way the traffic patterns work, you know, that's pretty painful. Um, so speaking of the pain, uh, the length of the commute is the next thing to consider. The average commute is getting longer and it's currently around 26 minutes. Now, everybody that's hearing this is going to go, what? That's a short commute. Well, our audience is tech people who are mostly concentrated in cities. This includes people that, you know, they're driving down the street five mm-hmm. minutes because they're in a small town. Or they're walking, even. Yeah. Um, so it's actually worse than this for most of the people that are like us. The typical commute in 1980 was 21.7 minutes. So it's gone up by about five minutes on average. Um, again, look at how much of the population moved to the cities in that amount mm-hmm. of time. The average American drives 16 miles. Yeah, and I don't know what mine is distance-wise because I've also got to take my daughter to school. And I kind of go back roads and stuff because of the traffic. So I think mine is about 15.5 to get to the park and ride. And then from there, I ride the bus for about an hour and 15 into town. So, I mean, if you consider what I drive, then I drive that amount. Before I moved out out to the middle of nowhere, it was like about two or three miles to the park and ride because I lived... Uh, a lot closer to the city. Yeah, mine, so, um, I just pulled it up on Google Maps and it says 13.7 miles. Okay, yeah. So, given the averages above, the number of people working, so forth, this works out to about 1.8 trillion minutes in traffic. Yeah, and UK numbers are a little bit worse, but some of their mass transit 
options are better. Like if you're trying to commute in and out of London, holy cow, man. <laughs> um, no, I could not imagine. I, I, mean, I looked at those numbers through Atlanta. Yeah. I looked at those numbers and was just, um, yeah, like you don't want all the people in London to be like really realizing how awful it is. Of course they do have mass transit options that are presumably better because they're a little bit they're more organized, I think, around that stuff than we are. Right. Um, I mean, and other U.S. cities have better public transport. New York has really good transport. Uh, Washington, D.C. has a really good um, subway system. I know I've mentioned I ride the bus, but I go downtown. And that's one of the things that um, is a little frustrating. Cities like Nashville is because everything is so far out. Like, you've, you've got a hub where you work that is 13 miles from you, but it's probably 20 miles from downtown. Yeah. And that's still part of the city. It's just, we're so spread out and the, especially the express buses that don't stop at every stop, they tend to go, they're like wheel spokes. They go in and out of the city and that's it. Yeah. So for you, you would have to ride the bus into the city, get on another bus to ride out to where you work. Whereas the way I go, I just cut through the you know back country, and I mean I see deer and turkeys just about every day on the way to work. I do too, but then again, I'm in yeah. the back country, so <laughs> yeah, you're out there where you could probably shoot one from a moving vehicle and get away with it. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> I don't think the people in Franklin would uh, appreciate that very much. So probably not. Yeah. So speaking of things that you're not going to appreciate much, let's talk about the raw price of transit. It's estimated that each mile you drive to work costs you $795 per year. Now that's assuming 34 cents per mile of raw cost plus salary on average. That's an average salary. Developers are on the high end on salary, so it's actually worse for us. So if you look at that number and you just kind of go, wow, that's awful, realize it's actually worse. This means that if you have an average U.S. commute, it's costing you almost 13000 a year, gas, car insurance, wear and tear, and lost time. Yeah, and the time's the big part, right? Because labor's yeah. expensive. Even if you're not using that time for work, this is something that we have talked about where when comparing, all right, is it worth paying someone to do this or doing it myself? Even if you're not using that time for work, that is still lost time that you're going to have to take away from work to spend with family, to spend doing the things you want to do. Yeah. Or the things you have to do. Yeah. Like grocery shopping. Yeah. And you know this this figure also doesn't include the other stuff we're going to talk about in this episode that doesn't really get into these calculations. Now, there's also some risks for travel. Uh, there are about 6 million car accidents in the U.S. every year, and that's from driverknowledge.com. I wonder right. if that number has doubled or worse since the advent of the cell phone just because of some of the stuff I see on my commute. That would be a really interesting uh, statistic to run of what well, what I there's the advent of the cell phone as in like and then there's the popular uptake of the cell phone. And then there's the advent of the smartphone. I don't yeah. mean like the BlackBerry, but like 2007 when the iPhone came out and it the smartphone became a popular thing. So I, I wonder what the numbers are between those different things. Yeah, I would imagine that it is definitely a highly rated cause of accidents if mm -hmm. you know if a cause is actually determined. Now, with all this, there are 
um, according to the stats I found on driver knowledge, about 2 million drivers experience permanent injuries from car accidents each year. This seems a little bit high. And so what I think is actually happening is it's like whiplash type injuries, mostly, uh, you know, whip, whiplash, you know, um, maybe some scarring, that kind of stuff. Um, but in 2017, there were 37,133 motor vehicle fatalities. So, you know, with all this, obviously the costs of a commute are pretty stark, but there's some other stuff in the mix here too that isn't really getting maybe as much attention as it needs. So let's talk about some of the things that happen uh, as far as like personal costs. Uh, The biggest thing is the time that you lose in transit. You know, if the average commute is 26 minutes or so, it's actually highly variable, right? Your commute might be 25 minutes, but you've got to leave 40 minutes early in case there's an accident. So that you can get to work on time. Otherwise, you're late all the time. This means that you can't leave your house 27 minutes before you have to be at work and expect to get there. Although we know people that do that. I've worked with people like that and they were always late. And they're like, well, there was traffic. There's traffic every day. I used to be someone that did that because I would calculate the commute and I would be like, all right, it's going to take this long. And I would. a lot of it was the assumption that the traffic was built into the commute time. Yeah. And that that is not the best way to to calculate things. Realistically, your time lost to commuting is more than the average daily commute. It's more than your average too, um, which is the other thing. The average U.S. commuter lost 38 hours to traffic delays in 2011, costing a week's worth of fuel. Uh, in urban areas with more than three million people, this average increased to 52 hours of delays per year. So you lost an hour a week. For no. traffic delays, essentially. This doesn't cover other time sinks, like uh, warming up your vehicle in the morning. You do that? I mean, we when live in the cold. South, so we don't really have to do it that much. But Yeah, yeah. I did it last week. Woo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, you know what? I remember in college when you got the new security system in your car and you were able to remote start it. You were so proud of that, and you drove to school every day it was cold because you could start your car up and warm it up while we were getting ready. Yep, instead of walking like a half mile. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I totally remember that. (laughs) I was so proud of that thing. (laughs) You were. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, and there's stuff like stopping for gas. I mean, that takes time. It takes money. Uh, Mm -hmm. Scraping all the ice off of your windshield. You know, all the other maintenance on your car. That. That's another time sink that isn't in these calculations. Well, you know, something I didn't mention in uh, what's going on with me this week is I got some leak in my car. I think it's a hose that's got a hole in it. And uh, my uncle's coming out tomorrow to look at it. So I haven't been able to drive. I actually had to borrow my mom's car, which meant I had to go over to her place. Um, Well, I had to wait for her to come pick me up, go over to her place, get the car, drive it home. I mean, all that just so that I could drive in one day a week. Yeah, it's... It's a lot. And mm-hmm. that time cost is often hidden. But when you really look at the numbers, it has a really profound impact on your schedule as far as the available time that you have to do stuff. Like, you know, they, they say, you know, you got eight hours for work and you got eight hours for sleep and you got eight hours for everything else. Well, if you're spending two hours in the car and now you're down to six, yeah, that knocks eat. Yeah. You have to bathe. I mean, I know some people don't, but they should. Especially some in tech. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but you did. So that Yeah. Works. You know, I've worked with people like that, man. They had windows that faced south and had to share an office with them. And whoa. <laughs> so speaking of that, 
There's also the stress of transit. A 2004 study found that commuting was the least satisfying activity of all daily activities in a survey of 1,000 women falling behind household and work itself. Yeah. So you think about it like, I mean, people complain about work. People complain about housework. But the commute is actually worse than both of those as far as the stress level and the dissatisfaction it produces. People just feel like they can't get away from it. That's a very good point. I don't really mind. I, I ride the bus. But even when I was driving into the office every day, I didn't mind it. But also, I did sales where I drove around from business to business all the time. So for me, driving isn't as stressful as it is for some people. Yeah. Whereas I hate it. Yeah. And I, I don't like being in traffic. Yeah. And but. my wife uh, has gotten frustrated with me before because I've said that traffic reminds me of high school because the dumbest person out there sets the pace. <laughs> right. And so that's kind of how I feel about it. And Commuting to work is associated with increased blood pressure, musculoskeletal problems, lower tolerance for frustration, and higher levels of anxiety. There's so many studies on this. Just go Google for that. Yeah. Now, a specific study by the Royal Society of Public Health indicated that 41% of those surveyed reported doing less physical activity, uh, one-third reported less sleep, and snacking more because of commuting. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to eat junk food while you're driving, right? Like you think you're making good use of the time when you get a couple of sandwiches and you go down the road. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, and the worst for me, at least, is road trips. I, yeah. I love road trips. I, I mean, we've gone down to Atlanta several times. We've gone like back in college. We went all the way to Florida several times. Um, Huntsville. I love it. This is where I... Um, you know, this is my kind of splurge. I'll, I'll go out and I remember growing up, road trips were always the time that I got to drink coffee because I'd, I'd stay up with my dad. We'd drive at night and I'd stay up with him. I'd drink coffee and I'd eat Reese's Pieces. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, my pairing has always been like a crystal sackful of mm. like four or five of those burgers. I know. And the fries and all that stuff and going down the road like that is not remotely healthy. So... <laughs> But the other thing, too, is like if your time is getting chewed up commuting and you don't have enough time for everything at home, you end up sleeping less um, and you're going to probably cut down on physical activity because that's the easiest thing to cut mm -hmm. versus like washing clothes or, you know, something else that really, really needs to get done. Um, yeah, I just got and, a new washing machine, so I'm excited. Yeah. Um, so also with this, and we kind of talked about snacking, but there's the cost of your food options at work. A lot of financial blogs suggest bringing your lunch to work to save money. And trust me, it really can. Uh, really funny thing here. So one of the guys I work with, um, we used to live close to each other when I lived over near Will. He would always eat out every day. Even when everybody brought their lunch, he'd just go upstairs and, and get something from the cafeteria. And then we started working remote. And I guess it was about a month or two after we started working remote, he came in and he was like, man, I've got so much extra money because I don't go out to eat. Yeah. Like, I just, I stay home and eat. I'm like, yeah, we've all been saying that. <laughs> That's why we bring our lunch. <laughs> yeah. The only thing with, with that is that this also limits you to a cold lunch or something that can be reheated in a microwave. Mm -hmm. Most places don't have, you know, real ways to reheat stuff. And that's, that can be kind of limiting, especially if you've got um, any kind of funky diet stuff going on. You know, that makes it harder 
the other thing that this does to you is that makes it where you're not able to eat a lunch without interruptions. Um, in many cases, like in a lot of tech companies, I've tried to eat at my desk and I'll get interrupted five or six times while I'm eating because there's a bug and you know people have poor boundaries. And this can also cause a lot of interpersonal problems and you don't feel like you get a break for lunch. When I go out to eat at lunch, which I do most of the time, I mean, sometimes I take my lunch, but uh, when I go out to eat, a lot of the reason I do that is just to get away from the office. Now, we have, and I work in a big building, but we have a, a whole half of a floor is the lunch area. Oh with, yeah, that's like totally Chick-fil-A. different. Yeah, but even when I was in the office every day and bringing my lunch, while we had a break area right near my desk, I would go upstairs and eat just because even if someone needed me, if they're like, oh, BJ's upstairs eating lunch, they wouldn't bother you. A lot of times if you were sitting in there, except for one or two people that had boundary issues, if you were sitting in the break room eating your lunch, they won't bother you. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know developers don't have any boundary issues. It's not like we've made any episodes about that. Um, <laughs> you know what's funny is in my situations, it never was the developer. No. It, I mean, it's it's PMs or support or management sometimes, yeah. um, depending on where you work. But I mean, this has been a problem I've had most places I've worked mm-hmm. is I can't really get away for lunch and expect to not get interrupted. Just be thankful you've never worked as a uh, nurse or tech at a hospital. Yeah. Because but, you, you don't get a lunch break. Yeah. yeah I mean, and that's built in, but I, yeah. I get that. But even so, and the big thing here is the loss of control, which is kind of the next point. Um, when you commute, you have much less control over your schedule. In fact, the lack of control over your schedule can often mean that you're not able to do things like work out. Uh, you know, for instance, I would love to go to yoga classes over here. Mm-hmm. And I think I might actually be able to pull that off if I was able to get a third work from home day. I could probably do that, but I can't do it with, you know, with our recording schedule right now. But if I was working in an office 100% of the time, there's no way I could do it at all. And this gets worse the further away from work that you live because you spend more time driving. The other thing is it affects the time that you have to wake up and when you get home. Uh, this is usually dictated by traffic. I know when I was driving in, especially when um, I first started my job, I was living not as far out as I am now, but I was living down this way. And I would drive, it would be about a 45 minute drive, but I would get to work at 7.15, 7.30 in the morning and leave around 3.15, 3.30 because I didn't want to hit the traffic. I still hit traffic and it's gotten worse like my my mom, she drives uh, about the same distance as I used to drive, and she gets to the office at five thirty in the morning and still has traffic. Yeah, well, where she is too is yeah. a good spot for it because <laughs> uh, I used to work walking distance from there. But the thing is, is you're probably working at least eight, eight hours a day, and the time that you're losing in these commutes is going to come out of your work time, your non work time, or your sleep time because that's all the time you've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than likely, your employer isn't going to let you keep taking it out of your work time for very long. So it's going to come out of one of the other two. You know, something I've noticed a lot of people do is they will work extra in the middle of the week. So usually Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they will come in a little bit early, stay a little bit late. And then on Friday, they'll come in late after traffic and leave early before traffic. So yeah. they still put in like a full 40 to 60 hour work week, depending on, you know, what, where you work, what you do. But that last day, that Friday, if they're allowed a flex schedule and 
like flex schedules, we could we could have a whole episode on why those are good and important and amazing. But that's not what we're talking about. I will say this. Um, we go into the office. We're required to be in one day a week on Wednesdays. And on those days, everyone is usually gone between 3 and 3.30 because they're wanting to avoid traffic. A lot of people show up before 8 o'clock because they're trying to avoid traffic. Now, sometimes, you know, people, things happen. People come in later. No one, like, I guess we're lucky because our management is okay with it. Since we work from home and they know, hey, you know, they're going to pick up the those extra hours. Yeah. Now, the next thing that the commute does to you is it has a cost on your career as well, like your ability to move forward. And the biggest one is, again, the, the opportunity cost of that lost time. If you take your yearly salary and divide by 2000, that's your approximate hourly rate give or take. That's probably really on the low end when you start counting benefits, especially like health insurance in the US. Um, but it's it's reasonable and it's it's easy to make this, this number. Then figure out how much time you spend in traffic, including the time driving to lunch and back in the middle of the day if you're doing that, and then multiply that out and look at what that's costing you. Like If you were an hourly employee, this would be catastrophic mm-hmm. in terms of cost. One of the benefits of working downtown is... We don't really, well, one, we have to park so far away, nobody really wants to drive anywhere, but um, we don't have to drive anywhere. There's so much stuff within a few minute walk. Yeah. Like my options within a couple minute walk are an extremely slow Indian restaurant that you'll be there for two hours um, and you might get food poisoning (laughs) and because I did Mm. and Captain D's and Burger Mm. King. Um, and then if you really want to go like closer to a mile away, there's two or three other places, but it's, it's a long way. And by the way, you're, you're walking by the side of the road with pine trees overhead that drop lots of ticks. Yeah. So it's just not worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it really depends on where you work because that that's going to determine how far out you have to go for lunch and what you can eat. I mean, some people have food allergies, so they're restricted on what they can eat. Yeah. Or if you're trying to do a keto diet, for instance, Burger King and Captain D's are not your friend. The other career cost is that you tend to be tied to a single area or you have to move. If you're physically going into an office, you have to live close enough for the commute to be reasonable. This can mean that you can't take a good job that may even be in your area, just not close by because of the commute distance. Like for you, you live on the west side of town. If you wanted to take a job in East Nashville, yeah. you're looking at an hour and a half commute one way. I mean, I've got a buddy. I've got a buddy out in Hermitage. I pretty much would guarantee he would hire me in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. right? Because I mean, we work well together and we have worked together in the past. But again, that's a 40 minute drive and that's just not doable. Um, the other thing that gets you is if the local market kind of gets soft. For developers at the same time as housing prices get worse, like let's say, I don't know, Detroit, you know, here in recent memory, you may end up taking a loss on selling your house when you change jobs because you've got to get out of that area. And so you Mm -hmm. get a double whammy that the thing that that does to people is it sets them back because then they're having to get a new job and they may not be able to get the best job that they could because they just got to pay bills. Uh, You know, I've known one or two people that have left cities like that under those circumstances and they're five years recovering. Oh yeah, it can it can be a big 
issue when that happens. And this is not something that a lot of people think about right now, because in most places, excluding Detroit and a couple other places like that, the housing prices are going up. Yeah. So well, even Detroit's doing better now. <laughs> they they really are. That's very true. I have, yeah. uh, I have some cousins that live out there. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where if you've not been through a recession or have not seen the the housing market go down, you may not be thinking about, all right, well, you know, what if this happens? Uh, for me, it's a sort of a different perspective because I'm dealing with not the housing market, but the rental market. Yeah. And right now it is a renter's market, meaning they are gouging renting yep. prices. I know I talked about it not that long ago on how when I moved back to Nashville, I looked at the apartment that I had been living in before I moved. And in four years time, the price of that apartment, two bedroom apartment had tripled. So yeah, I mean, it's it, it happens. Next, the commute makes it more likely that having a family uh, and illness, other things will damage your career. Right. Because you have to drive into work if you have a sick family member or a new family member, you know, you got a newborn baby at home, mm-hmm. uh, that can mean that you have to miss days when you might otherwise actually be able to be productive. Now, I mean, there's a work-life balance here thing, too, that you need to be dealing with. But if you could work and you want to work, but you got to stay home, you know, that that's a negative unless you can actually work from the house. Yeah, like um, my dad was able to work from the house a lot when we were growing up. Being a preacher, he could, you know, he had office hours, but he could work from the house and do his sermons and stuff like that. And I remember when we would get sick, he would like take care of us. A lot of times we'd go rent some movies if it was not something that like the medicine made us, you know, go to sleep. He'd go rent us some movies and we'd sit in the living room, watch TV, you know, bundled up with popsicles and stuff like that. And he'd go sit in his office and work and he'd get a full day's work in. With the kids homesick. Yeah. The big thing is, is that you have an option Yeah, if you're not commuting and you don't have that option if you are. Mm-hmm. Now, it's it's nice to be able to take a day off when a spouse or a child or another relative is sick. We're not saying don't do that. But when an illness is chronic, a commute can make everything in your life impossible at that point. Mm-hmm. Like you're not that far away from having really, really bad problems that center around this. And you never know when somebody in your family is going to get sick in this manner either. Um, you and I both have known people that have had spouses that have died or that have gotten, you know, cancer. I had, I had a friend that, you know, he had cancer for a bit. I mean, he's, he's better now, but that's a lot of care that your spouse has to do for you for a bit. Yeah. I mean, and not, not just spouses, one of our really good friends, um, we did a whole episode around him a little bit after he passed, he he was born with cystic fibrosis and yeah. that completely changed his mother's life. You know, like it, 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 com- it made a huge impact and changed everything for her because she had to be there to take care of him as much as he, he did on his own. He still had a lot of time. Like I remember being in school with him and he would miss weeks at a time because of the illness. Yeah. And if you've got elderly relatives, you know, like, you know, a lot of people are, you know, like if they're in your, if you're in your twenties, right, you're probably not thinking, okay, my parents are going to get sick at some Mm -hmm. point. When you start getting closer to your forties, you realize that that's coming. You know, you don't want your job situation, if you can help it to make that harder. Uh, Yeah. I I have a coworker that, uh, that had that exact same thing where her, she's older, her mother has passed now, but uh, she was able to work remote some and take care of her mom. 
Yeah. And that's a huge, huge benefit. Now, this next one is not uh, really about commuting, but it's about being in the office versus being remote. And that is that you get interrupted more in an office, lots more. And the office environment, unless you've got a private office, is going to be worse than the average home environment. You know, again, assuming you don't have like four two-year-olds running around and <laughs> you're, you know, sitting there by yourself, then yeah, then home is probably worse. Uh, if you got people, four two-year-olds running around, you, you you're double dipping because you're you're running a daycare and <laughs> yeah, there's something going on there. But you know, I mean, realistically, home is usually got fewer interruptions. Now, the other thing I've noticed too is that if you're in the office, people will schedule you for more pointless meetings that you really don't need to be in in the first place Mm -hmm. because it's cheaper on them. Whereas if they have to go to the extra effort of making sure there's remote calling software and they bring you on the call and you go through all the little microphone dance that everybody does on the beginning of every Skype call that ever happened. Can you hear me? You know, that that business, (laughs) like people don't want to do that. So it gets you out of a lot of meetings that don't matter. And if you're remote, um, you can also just mute your microphone and just work if the meeting's a waste of time. Really, what this all comes down to is more wasted time. Yeah. I've worked in offices, man, where like every day, three or four hours was wasted. And then they turn around, they want you to stay late to make up for the time that was wasted. Because, you know, oh, we've got a deadline. We got to get this Mm -hmm. done. It's like, well, you wasted half my day. The next cost that we're going to talk about is the cost to your family. Less quality time with your significant other, your kids, your parents. Not only is the time restricted, but the rush to get to work on time really degrades the quality of that time. Yeah, and I can speak to this. Um, There have been different periods where it has been very difficult to get my daughter up out of bed and get her ready to go to school. And you know, there's conflict first thing in the morning. And that's awful. It's a terrible way to start the day. I mean, it's not a problem right now, um, but it has been in the past. And you know, if I wasn't having to commute in like that, it would not be as rushed. On the other side, nighttime is rushed because you know kids have to get their homework done. They have to eat, bathe, and get to bed at a reasonable hour. I know there's been a big push, um, not just with families, but uh, with teachers to move away from assigning homework and the only time you have homework is if you didn't get it done in class. It's yeah, like class and that's that definitely done. a good thing because holy cow, when you when you've worked all day and you've sat in traffic and you get home and you get to fight with a eight or nine year old about doing their math homework for two hours, that's you know that's horrendous. I, I just think of my nephew. I mean, he's four and he plays hockey. He plays basketball. He plays soccer. Not all at the same time, but there is some crossover. And you know when he gets. A little bit older, he's going to play football because I know he wants to. He's already talking about it. He's four years old talking about wanting to play football. Uh, he takes swim lessons. I mean, he has all sorts of extracurricular stuff. Um, and if you've got kids that is, they don't have to be athletic, if you've got kids in the band, in drama, horseback in riding, of, yeah, horseback riding, any kind of extracurricular activity that adds to this time. And it's just, I'm really for this no homework thing, but I always hated homework too. So, yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing that that gets you here too is that whatever time is available for your significant other is often whatever is left after that, right? Because you're dealing with the kids and all this other stuff, and it's like, okay, you know, it's nine o'clock or nine thirty or ten or later, and it's time to get to bed. And we're getting up at five. You, you end up not even talking sometimes. Yeah. 
And that, I think that piles up after a while too on a lot of people's marriages, especially if they're not particularly healthy already. Mm -hmm. Like that's not a good thing. I think that's why my sister likes it when like my mom or I come to visit because we want to spend time with them, but we also want to spend time with the kids. So we'll watch the kids while they go out and do something. Yeah. This is also more restrictive on where your house can be. You know, wherever you live, you have to live somewhere that you can both afford and it's close enough for you to commute to work. Yeah. And in a lot of first tier cities, uh, this is becoming impossible. In many second tier cities, it's rapidly getting out of reach for most professions. So, like, you know, if you're in San Francisco, even if you're a top of the line developer, you're going to have a hard time living there, you know, close to work. If you're in Nashville and you're not a developer, you're not a doctor or something like that, finding a place to live that's safe and that you can get to work is getting hard. Yeah, I remember I had a conversation recently um, about why I moved so far out. I was like, well, you know, I work remote three to four days a week, so I don't have to drive in. But uh, I was like, you know, I, I'm paying a lot less. And I said how much I, I pay per month. And the person at the table was like, uh, oh, well, I pay that much for my mortgage. I'm like, yeah, yeah but I have a three-bedroom house with an acre yard. And he's like, oh, I've got a three-bedroom house and a quarter acre. And I'm also like, yeah, and you live in one of the more most dangerous areas in town. Yeah. Well, and you know, my mortgage payment is not much more than your rent used to be. <laughs> That's very true. Because um, I just timed it right. But yeah, I mean, it it really makes stuff difficult. And if you care at all about the future of your kids, if you have any, you also have to be kind of careful about picking an area where the schools are good because they're zoned Mm -hmm. somewhere and you don't want your kid, you know, getting bullied or, you know, drug related crime happening in the school, even though it happens in most of them. This dynamic is one of the reasons you have so much suburban sprawl around the major cities is we just really haven't figured out how to do this well yet. Another cost you have to consider is your daycare or before and after care with school. Uh, I know I used to work in daycare and it was expensive. Daycare costs are really high, especially for young children. Like it, it surprised me when they told me how much they charged per child because I knew how much we made as teachers. And I'm like, we're not getting that. Where's that money going? Like, I know we had a really nice facility in a really nice area of town. So I know some of it went to the facility, but I'm like, somebody's making a lot of money off this. Yeah. Um, per creditonkey.com, parents spend an average of $211 a week for daycare at a facility and $200 for care at home if that's available. Um, I've never seen it be that low, um, yeah, that's but that's really, a really nice really thought. <laughs> um it's really possible for a young family to have daycare expenses that are in excess of their housing expenses. That happened to me. Um, you know, a lot of the women I worked with at the daycare had the job because they get a discount on the daycare. Yeah. Um, and that was and, a major driver of it. Yeah. And so they would work like the daycare was open for 12 hours. They would work eight and that gave them four hours to get everything else done before they had to pick their kids up. Now, small kids, yeah, you can't work from home with you know little kids underfoot. That's hard. Um, you can, might do it a little bit, but uh, on a regular basis, that's not going to happen. But when they get older, they don't need as much from you. Like, well, where I work, we had to sign a thing saying that we would not be the only adult with a child under a certain age. Yeah, like that was that was part of the deal to get to work from home. Uh, the thing is, it's even expensive once kids are in 
regular school because a lot of times the school day is shorter than your work day. You know, the school day is like seven to eight hours, but that doesn't include your commute and going to pick them up. Um, you may have some extracurricular activities, but a lot of those cost money. And then you also have aftercare that costs money. Yeah. And my daughter is in before care and aftercare. Mm-hmm. Um, the aftercare is not as many days because I work from home a yeah. couple of days a week, but it's still a thing and it, it costs money. If you're working from home, you can realistically take care of a sick child and put in a full day of work. Uh, we talked about this a little bit when I talked about my dad. What he did when we would get sick is, you know, he would come pick us up from school if we were, if we got sick in school or whatever. Um, of course, I remember a couple of times where he had to do stuff and I, like, he had to go to the hospital to visit people and I just stayed in the van. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> but, uh, like, uh, most of the time it was he would bring us home. And he would work from home on different things. This is especially important when you don't get a lot of days off or your vacation and sick days are kind of combined. I, I'm lucky because mine are separate and my vacation rolls into my sick days, but um, you can burn through those really quickly. Yeah. And the, and the worst thing ever is like when, you know, when you're close to the end of the year and you're like, oh, I get the, you know, you get the flu and you've only got three sick days left. Well, what do you do on that fourth day? You go into work and you make everybody else sick. Or you have unpaid leave. And it's also bad, like in the summertime, if you've been sick in the spring, then you don't get to go on vacation that year. Finally, pollution, noise, and crime have impacts on your family. There are a lot of studies on the impacts of urban pollution on humans, especially on children. And a lot of the numbers are a bit hand wavy, but it's generally agreed to not be a good thing. Uh, On the same note, noise pollution in crowded environments makes it difficult for some people to sleep. I know for me, this isn't an issue because, you know, I grew up with people always coming over to the house and just like a a busy household. So if there's something, if there's like noise, it helps me sleep. Um, Yeah. Whereas I cannot. Yeah. Um, I'm a very light sleeper. I'll hear a door close down the street and it wakes me up. Depending on the city that you're living in, you may also find that you can't afford housing for your family in a safe area. And this can mean anything from stolen bicycles to home invasions are worse. The interesting thing about this is over what I guess the last 10 to 15 years, you and I have seen areas like Areas that when I was growing up were some of the nicest areas of town, like the nicest middle-class areas of town, I should say, Yeah, going down. Like the mall ended up closing down in that area and like a lot of the businesses moved away. And it when at one point the it was a really nice place to live, it went down and it's no longer safe and nice place to live. Yeah. And um, we've seen other ones that have gotten gentrified. As well, mm-hmm. um, which basically means that you know that the way they do it in Nashville is it one street will get better and the next street over will still be crap. And so you have people with a lot of money living here next to people that you know maybe are not doing so well, and so you do get a lot of crime and stuff. And the thing is with with crime and stuff like that, it's not just the crime; it's the fear of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a murder out here not too long ago. Uh, we've had a gang that's been breaking into cars and somebody chased them and they you know shot and killed him. And, you know, he had young children at home. Everybody out here is still scared, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, there's a psychological toll to this, um, even if you're not the victim. So, the next is the cost to the company. 
higher stress levels of employees. And, you know, we're really kind of talking about how the commute raises your stress level. The stress doesn't magically disappear when you get into the office. Yeah, if anything, it's worse. (laughs) Yeah, these higher stress levels contribute to turnover, to illness, uh, bugs and mistakes, and lower job satisfaction. I will be really honest, when I started riding the bus, my job satisfaction went up. Yeah, because traffic really wears you down more than you think. And I like driving. I, it's I, it's traffic I don't like, and I didn't realize just how much it was bringing me down until I didn't have to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, just I've noticed a huge improvement in my mood just working from home two days a week. Yeah, uh, vastly, and I think it's visible to you too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it is. Like I can tell the days that you work from home versus the days that you don't when we're talking. Yeah. Um, also, these are things that your employer can't really do much about. Um, because employees, they live where they live. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't really adjust that as an employer unless you get rid of the commute. The other thing is some of your employees have tighter finances. Um, we've discussed how commutes create financial stress. Well, the thing you have to think about is yes, developers do get paid pretty well, but you know, some of us are coming from places where, Hey, we've got a lot of debt and it's not like, we made mistakes. It's we were in school for something else and changed career paths or things like that. Um, or you've got a house is, in an expensive area and you, you know, where the schools are good and yeah. you've got that sitting on you. And that financial pressure can cause a happy, fulfilled employee to leave because they're looking for more money. And it also means you'll end up having to pay more to keep your best people. Next, employee geographic restrictions and those associated costs. So, if your office location is high cost and you don't allow telecommuting, your employees are going to cost more. I mean, look at the difference in pay between Silicon Valley and Nashville for the same level developer. Yeah, and Nashville has exploded Mm -hmm. just in terms of how much the salaries have gone up in the last five or 10 years. I mean, it it is really insane. And it's not even close to Silicon Valley. This also puts you at risk of being undercut on cost by cheaper competitors. And it restricts your options for employees at the same time. There's also the the issue of employees getting sick. And like you mentioned, you know, you don't have enough sick days. So you come in when you're sick. Uh, one of the benefits of a remote workforce is that one sick workaholic won't make the entire office sick and that can shut you down completely. Yeah. And this can be really important uh, when you have employees that have a really good reason not to want to get sick besides, you know, the obvious not wanting to be sick, like they've got a baby at home, you know, or hey, they, have, they got somebody immunocompromised at home. They have a chronic illness, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, you know, it, it will make people freak out if they've got mm-hmm. certain stuff. You know, I've I worked around people that had um, a fear of getting sick at their stomach. And if somebody seems like they might be a little bit sick at their stomach or whatever, these people will flip out because, you know, there's all that that baggage with it. And you bringing people into the office kind of puts you in the middle of that. Negative or disenfranchised employees, they're going to gossip when they're in the office. But when telecommuting, it's less likely because they know conversations are logged. A lot of times on chat, for instance, or that someone can get to it. Finally, under this, employees unable to come in at various points, uh, sometimes critical. Most businesses, uh, there eventually comes a point where you need your people available. 
if they're commuting, the time will come when you need them and they're stuck in traffic. They are snowed in or have a sick child at home. You know, I remember when I was working at the hospital, I worked the weekend of the flood in Nashville and I worked the weekend of the ice storm. Yeah. And the flood, because I lived uphill from the hospital, didn't didn't affect me much. But, but the ice storm was probably <laughs> horrific for the same reason. <laughs> exactly. And I, I got in trouble because I went home that evening and didn't stay at the hospital overnight because I didn't want to sleep on the floor in the gymnasium. Yeah. You know, I, I, I dealt with the punishment because I was like, I'm going to go sleep in my own bed. Um, I ended up having to hike about uh, half a mile or more because I couldn't get up the hill to my apartment. So, you know, you have employees that that miss because of all this stuff and it's critical and you have problems. But the other thing that happens is what happens to your disaster recovery plan, right? If your employees are distributed, your business is already able to run in that scenario. So, if you have some major problem like the the building burns down and you have offsite backups, half your people are working remote already. You've got a skeleton crew to run the business, right? This helps the DR plan. So the final thing we're going to talk about is the cost to society. More time spent sitting in traffic means a huge loss of human potential. If you scale up the personal time lost to a societal level, commuting is a tremendous waste if it isn't absolutely required. Um, Considering that the average commuter wastes 42 hours and $960 in traffic, there are a lot of other places that time and money could go that would actually be helpful to society as a whole. Or just to the people, you know, like individually, like everybody being happier. Uh, The other thing that gets you on this is it really increases the cost of roads and mass transit. You know, rush hour traffic happens for several hours a day in the morning and evening with traffic dropping off afterward. But roads have to be built for maximum utilization. So it's it's kind of a burst traffic type scenario. This means that municipalities end up spending a ton of money on roads and other infrastructure and have the option of either having terrible traffic or overbuilding roadways for peak traffic. Yeah. And usually what happens is, is they actually overbuild and it still is terrible. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that in Nashville. Um, Now, one interesting thing that people in other cities, uh, Huntsville and Chattanooga that I've talked to is they are actively looking at building their infrastructure before bringing businesses in. So I was talking when we were, when I was down at uh, DevSpace and they said, yeah, they have turned down companies because they want to build up their infrastructure. And I was like, I wish Nashville had done that. And they're like, yeah, we learned from your mistake. Yeah. And they'll probably have some of the businesses from here will go there Yeah, um, realistically. Now, mass transit has helped this in some areas, but even mass transit struggles when you have enough people coming in at the same time. Yeah, like the bus that I ride, it's a hour and 15 minutes to get in. And it's a, it's almost full when I come in in the mornings on the bus, but it takes a long time to get in. The other thing you have is increased pollution. Most vehicles, when idling in traffic, they're going to produce pollution. It's also really bad for the vehicle to just sit there and run. Um, we've all heard about global warming, but, uh, Particulate pollution is also a major concern. Bear in mind that this pollution not only goes into the general environment, but into the lungs of the people sitting there 
Yeah. I mean, you got a vehicle in front of you that's belching this stuff out. Guess where the intake is for the air conditioner in your car? Mm -hmm. We do have filters, but they're not perfect. Yeah. Also add the pollution caused when extracting fossil fuels or making batteries and power for electric cars. And there's a huge environmental impact that is pretty extreme. Next, more traffic accidents and the injuries that result from that. We talked about traffic deaths and injuries earlier. These events also have an impact on society uh, that's really hard to measure. Not only do you have the very obvious consequences of injury and death, but there are a lot of hidden costs that happen over the following years. Medical bills, for one, can really extenuate a lot of circumstances. And we talked about people in financial hardships. They could be in those financial hardships because of medical bills associated with long-term effects of a car accident they had while commuting to work. Yeah. And oh, by the way, they may have gotten hit by an uninsured driver and they're just out of luck as far as collecting Mm -hmm. anything. They're just Toast. The other thing this does is this decreases the general health of the population. Uh, We talked about how going into an office often serves to spread disease, but that's not the only cost. We have a flu outbreak right now, you know, in town here and around Tennessee, there's schools that are closing and all that, but it also reduces the amount of time people have available to exercise and reduces their food options, makes them less physically active. This, you know, kind of piles up after a while. I mean, heck, they're just sitting more in the car. And the long-term consequences of increased stress and exposure to pollution are harder to quantify, but I guarantee you they're there. If you have the kind of job and work ethic that allows you to work from home, then your commute is probably making your life worse in a variety of ways. For many of us, commuting is an artifact of an earlier time and doesn't really make sense anymore. While not every job can be done remotely, there are a lot of really good reasons to work remotely if you can. And we hope that this episode gives you some ideas to think about when deciding whether to work remotely or not. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to add a point to this that you know, working remote has a value. Right. So if you're looking at it and you're going, Hey, this is a $10,000 decrease in my salary, but I don't have to commute an hour. Um, that's real easy. Take that. Um, because that decrease in salary is, is one thing, but the, the amount of free time you have, you know, you're not getting taxed on that free time. Right. So you're, you're probably coming out ahead unless your pay rate is extremely low. So. Use these things that we describe here and try to figure out what the value of this is for you when you're doing job negotiations and you're trying to figure out what you want to get paid. Sometimes companies will move on remote work when they wouldn't move on a pay scale. So just keep that in mind. That'll give you more options. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. 
Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.